Yo, yo, what's going on, everybody? Hope you're doing good and hope you having a good week so far. So before we get into the podcast this week, I'd love it if you could all go hit subscribe and give us a little comment or review or whatever your platform allows you to do. It just keeps the podcast going and I'd love you forever. Right, podcast time. Jake Hanrahan is a conflict journalist. I came across him on a podcast uh, about a month ago and absolutely loved kind of what he was about and how he was talking and I did some more digging and was really interested in in what he's created he's created a journalist platform called Popular Front which reports on conflicts and issues that are going around in the world that mainstream media don't really talk about and I'm not a huge fan of mainstream media I just really like to kind of be given all the information and and how it is with no political kind of sides taken um jake does an amazing job and all of his guys at popular front do as well he has a great great podcast called popular front he also has patreon um, which is popular front so without further ado i want to introduce you to jake hanrahan enjoy people state my ear fuck that and we're live, mate. Your hair looks great. Don't worry about that. <laughs> mate, no barbers on lockdown, mate. Only I know. Their shit, man. This beard is getting even bigger for like. That's cool though, man. Can you put like a like? I was I was growing my beard until recently, and I wanted to put like a knot in it. But then I thought, <laughs> no, I'm just like a fucking like bootleg Viking. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you just look like one of those hippies that just turns up somewhere walking down the like. Everyone's in like a local village or town has like a local hippie. And yeah, just like, I don't just ever want to. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, man, how are you? I'm good, mate. I'm all right. I'm a bit annoyed today because I meant to got a, meant to have a very big documentary coming out with my platform, Popular Front, um, and I sent it away to America to get it like professionally graded and coloured and that, and I had to send it on a hard drive because the file was so big. Yeah, I paid about two hundred quid, some extortionate rate to FedEx to get it sent back for this morning. Obviously, it hasn't arrived messaged them just like you know rang them and they're just like yeah like no <laughs> we don't know where it is i'm just like fucking hell mate that's so ridiculous i'm gonna go to the depot after this and just hot everyone up and like kung fu my way in <laughs> you know what i mean but, what's I what's the documentary on if you can if you're yeah yeah to... no it's, it's about 3d printed firearms in europe western europe specifically so in america there's quite a big network of like kind of 3d printed gun hobbyists about 80% of the firearms are like 3D printed. And obviously over there, it's, you know, it's a hobby, whatever. Yeah. There's more guns than people there. Yeah. But in obviously, obviously in Western Europe, like that's a big deal. You know what I'm saying? So we managed to find or at least get access to the the founder of this group doing all these like 3D printed rifles and sharing the information. We met him in Western Europe and, you know, he showed us his workshop. He showed us how he builds them. And then he took us out to the forest, test fired it. Like, it's a big deal because they basically don't give a shit about who gets the technology. I was like, what if ISIS get a hold of this? And they're like, oh, well, like, basically, like, you know, they're, they're like uh, free speech extremists, if you like, and free self-defense extremists. You know, they're not like far right or anything yeah. like that. But yeah. they're, they're just like, we want everyone to have the ability to defend themselves against their government or whoever, which I agree with. But they've taken it to the craziest extreme of like, anyone can have a completely untraceable firearm and they're not like people think 3d printed guns are like these little 
kind of water pistol almost. Oh, it'll blow up in your hands, mate. It's like a, it's a machine gun. Yeah. It's a semi-automatic machine gun. He makes his own ammunition. He showed us that. Like you could go on like a murder spree with it and kill Jeez. so many people. And, yeah, yeah, it's really. And you can get three D printers. Like they're not expensive, like really. Quid the guy made the, the guy that we, we were filming with. He calls himself Jay Stark. His three D printer was like hundred and fifty pounds. Fucking hell, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had these two fucking rifles just in his workshop, and I was just like blown away by it, man. Like, and it, you know, if he gets caught, he's doing probably ten years easily. Probably more because he's actively trying to distribute these files. Anyone can download them online. Not even Darknet. It's just there on their website. Anyone can do it, you know. But think the amount of damage that that can be done on society. Right. I I think this is the thing. It's very interesting talking about guns because I live in America. Although I'm living in the UK at the moment, I live in America. And I'm sure you've experienced it. But you have this gun culture in different countries that we don't have in the uk yeah and it's very hard for british people to kind of get their head around gun culture in different countries um you've come across a lot in your time and experienced a lot what's your thoughts on the british gun culture compared to the rest of the world or even european gun culture compared to the rest of the world um that's a good question because it's funny in Britain, if you say like, I think people should be allowed to own firearms on, you know, within certain parameters, the culture we have here, as you know, like people just go mad. They think you're a terrorist or yeah. some Nazi or whatever. Um, so it's hard to even talk to people about it. Right. Like you've kind of said, I look, I don't want the gun culture that America has. Absolutely <laughs> not. I don't want a lot of what America is trying to export here, yeah. to be honest specifically the politics, but I do believe, you know, I'm a leftist man, like born and raised, you know, I believe that the people should have the right to defend themselves um, against the government. If a government can come out and shoot people, I think that the citizens should have some way to be able to defend against that. Should the government turn tyrannical. Now people say it will never happen here. Trust me, we live in one speck of time. (laughs) Anything can happen here and it can happen in our timeline. Now saying that, where I grew up, you know, I, the lads that I know that have got hold of firearms, like real ones, are maniacs and criminals, and they just want to hurt people. Yeah. And if anybody could get a weapon, like, you know, imagine if tomorrow we had America's gun laws, right? I The, the whole block where I live will be shot up. Yeah. People will be killing each other. I know it, you know? Yeah. I mean, on my road, two people got stabbed this year. One was a woman. She died over a fucking parking space dispute. Yeah. Like, you know what That's I'm fact. saying? So... I don't think the guns are the issue. I think the culture is the issue. Now, just to just to give you one more point on that, very good thing I read once was that, like, in, in Iraq, you know, I've done a lot of reporting there, or a fair bit, they have something like, the, I think it's like the the second or the, or the first most unlicensed firearms, right? So loads of people have got guns. Loads of people don't have licenses. Who knows who the fuck has them? You can go to the market there and buy, like, a gold-plated AK. It's easy. Um However, they've had no school shootings. They had one actually, but it was like a crazy student went in and shot his teacher over a dispute. They've had no school shootings, like rampant school shootings. America has way more guns than Iraq, sure. But like, you know, they have, they have licenses and that they have school shootings all the time. Yeah. So it's like, you can argue, is it the guns or is it the culture? I, Uh, I, yeah. uh, Sorry to, sorry to butt in there, but I, I also, I also think like, 
Was it Iraq that you said that you could do that? Yeah. Yeah, like in Iraq, do they have like, is mental health that much of an issue in, in, in Iraq where it's... Well, it is, but it's concentrated because of the war, right? Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. They've got bigger things to worry about. Yeah, exactly. Constant wars. And there is a big macho culture over there. But there's less of a like gangster culture, yeah. you know, like no one's really impressed. You know, like in the UK, we get, I call them roadman, you know, like they're <laughs> a plague man. Like, you know, I'm friends with a few of them around my way just to kind of nod at them. But they're a pain, you know, they're like, yeah. they're like, I feel sorry for them a lot of the time. They're like young boys that never grew up properly. Yeah. Or at least they didn't mature. And their way of being, you know, men is to be brutal and cold hearted and overtly yeah. aggressive. That culture, I've never really experienced that in the Middle East, you know. I mean, it's there, but it, it manifests itself in different ways, like ISIS or whatever, you know. Yeah. So it's almost kept away a little bit. Um, it's it's difficult, man. It's a funny one. It, it's all about culture. And, and I don't want there to be guns everywhere in the UK, certainly not. But I do think that as, as a citizen... I think it's very clear that, you know, there's one rule for us and one rule for the government. And that's not, I'm not interested in any conspiracy nonsense. Yeah. It's just clear, you know, yeah, like yeah. if you're rich and you have, you know, you're politically powerful, you're above many laws that you and me are not. Totally. For example, yeah. Eric Joyce recently was found with, um, I think it's like called class one. It's the worst kind of child abuse images you can possibly have. He was found with that on his phone, on his computer uh, he didn't even go to prison. Fuck. He got a four-year suspended sentence, which means he's out. He's just no prison time at all. Now, you know, I've got friends doing time in jail for like very small drug offenses yeah. or fist fighting, you know. <laughs> so I'd argue the inequality is already there. Now, I'm not saying I want some kind of uprising or armed violence or anything, but I just do think that it's a topic worth discussing. But again, it's a, I come at it from a kind of leftist kind of, you know, anti-state point of view, perhaps. And I understand that, like, not everybody wants that. Yeah. The problem with these lads with the 3D printed gun, this group called the Terence Dispense that we filmed with, they're saying, well, fuck what you think. We think everyone should have the rights and that's that. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what if people don't want that? And they're like, we don't care. Like, you know, you know, free, you know, the guy that we're filming, he kept saying, live free or die. And it's like, that's a very black and white way of looking at the world, man. <laughs> Does it like, scare you? Huh? Does it scare you? He's one of the most scariest, dangerous people I've ever met in my life, really? believe it or not. Yeah, like just by his ideas. And he was a very likable person, you know, like off camera, we got him very well. And the doc, you'll see it if, the, if, if FedEx ever delivered the hard drive, <laughs> you'll see it. We had some very like heated kind of arguments. But at the same time, he was very just like, you know, he didn't mind being challenged. When yeah. he says he's a free speech kind of extremist or absolutist, he means that. He doesn't mind being challenged. He doesn't mind being argued with, which was quite refreshing. However, I kept saying to him, you know, death is, murder is the ultimate act of removing someone's freedom. Yeah. And he just couldn't compute that. He was like, yeah, but we're building these guns. The Uyghurs in China can use these if they get the 3D printer. They can fight back against the tyrannical governments, which, yeah, I get that. I get that. But also some random jihadi or some random Nazi could build this and go and shoot up a school in England yeah. or wherever or a synagogue or, you know, or a mosque or whatever. So it's a worry, you know, it's, but he just, he, he didn't, he just didn't care. He was just like tough luck. He was like, I'm, I'm willing to, 
to sacrifice a bit of freedom, for, uh, a bit of, sorry, a bit of safety for a bit more freedom. And it's like, Jay Stark, man, not everybody wants that. And he's kind of like tough luck. You know? Yeah, I think there's I think sometimes people don't see two sides of the story, right? And I think yeah. until they've been in the situation where their kids have been in a school where it's been shot up or something like that, you don't see two sides. You, don't, you just don't see it. And it's kind of I think there's always been these radical people in the world in everything, right? They're always but I think with the internet and just with with social media with everything you can kind of you see it more often i think and people are allowed their opinions or speak their opinions more so because it's so easy to get to so many people exactly and imagine so these guys have that concept what you've just said but with uh sending out uh, schematics and blueprints and extremely detailed instructions on how to build fully working semi-automatic untraceable 3d firearms now to give you an idea of how kind of wild this is jay stark got some ikea flat pack furniture like instructions and modeled his 3d printing gun instructions on them Jeez. like it's like a 138 page document i think i've got it anyone can get it it's online and it's just like he really was like i want people to make this you know i said to him you're you know it's fair to say you're kind of trying to spread this message he was like oh yeah oh yeah yeah i want people to do this i even said to him i said well look how about this then he said give me some stronger arguments i said all right how about someone makes this and kills someone you love and he was like that's a risk i have to take and he was just like wow you know i think the thing that's going through my head like i live in detroit in in america and although guns are very readily available in America, as as you well know, um, mm. in poorer neighborhoods and things like that, it's it's going to be easier to just print your own gun, and and there's no trace, and there's then you're kind of it's almost like it's more likely to be used not against the government but against their own people, your own people. And, exactly. and I think that's when you start kind of creating civil wars and <clears throat> there's, I don't necessarily agree with how all governments are run their countries and everything like that. I think that's, just, that's a completely different debate, mm. but I also don't think violence necessarily is always the way to overcome that. I think sometimes, I think, I think in situations it you need to, and it does have to happen. And, and we've, You've proven that in your work, if you know what I mean, that sometimes you have to because it's, it's the last chance. However, in a situation, let's say, for instance, the UK, like, I think that would just fuck everything up. We don't need it, man. No. We're not, we're not like, I mean, <laughs> our government is becoming increasingly more authoritarian by the week. I keep a very close eye on this. I mean, I'm not really interested in all these isms and schisms. Ultimately, my political ideology is just anti-authoritarian, yeah. whether that's from the left, from the right or the center or wherever. I am very much against that. So I keep a close eye on it. Like Big Brother Watch is a good resource for people that want to do that. Okay. A lot of it goes completely unreported. It goes under the radar. Very strange bits of policy that are quite hard to understand. It's happening in our country. Our country is becoming increasingly more authoritarian. Europe is. France have just brought in an insane bill they want to pass where they want to limit how people can film the police. In any free society, 
people should be able to film the police when they're on duty as much yeah. as they want, I believe, you know, just to make sure they don't do anything insane like we're seeing all the time, like killing black people in America in an insane disproportionate amount. Yeah. So yeah. There, there, there is that, right? However, we are not being put into gulags. We are not living like China. We are, you yeah. know what I mean? Like we're not the, we're not the Uyghurs. We're not, we're not like um, the Kurds in Turkey. We're not being oppressed to that level yet. I very much doubt that will ever happen here. Yeah. But it, you know, it's, there's levels to it is what I'm saying. And there's you know, a balance, oh, right? Yeah. Like we don't need to go and shoot a parliament yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. For Christ's sake. And, and hopefully we never have to get to that point. Yeah. And I think, I was I've been I've been doing I've been watching a lot of your stuff recently over the last couple of weeks from I I think I got in fact one of my good friends from uh, America she sent me a podcast you did on QAnon um with the guys and I listened to that I was like I need to need to kind of check you out and you you kind of have I'm not a huge fan of looking at news and look I don't agree with mainstream media I, I I just don't i don't think it's healthy um i don't think i think everything's politically kind of charged um depending on who that media outlet kind of decides to to support um and i think there's so much in the world that we're not taught about and we're not learned uh, learned that's not great english but we're just like oh well, i'm a shit bag <laughs> don't worry about it. i know what you're saying you're just we're just not kind of i think it's whatever you they want you to know they they're they're trying to kind of push it if you know what i mean classic example covid at this moment in time and we the whole world has been kind of screwed over by this thing but there's still so many more things that are happening in this world that are so much more important than covid and i don't mean that in a disrespectful way anybody that's lost their lives to covid or anything like that it's it's an awful thing however there's places in the world that are going through a lot worse things and I really like what you've done um, on your platform, Popular Front. What, what, why did you start it? How, how did it all start? Well, it kind of ties into what you've just said about like mainstream. And I, I'm not like, I don't hate mainstream media. Like I, you know, I made my place in mainstream media. I worked for Vice News for like yeah. five years when it was really good at the start. Um, I'm not saying that like, because I was there. I just <laughs> happened to be there at that yeah, time. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And it was like an amazing place. And, you know, I've worked for The Guardian. I'm doing bits for the BBC. But there is a big problem within mainstream media right now. You're right, I think. And it's it's very much, there's no like, there's no insidious kind of Soros or whatever the hell it is at the top, like being like, do this, do that. It's just the culture wars. Um, I think, unfortunately, mostly from America being exported to the rest of the world. Yeah. And we're just seeing, you know, I've had people before I started Popular Front, they're like, you know, I was like, I want to cover this underreported conflict that nobody knows about. It's really interesting. The world should know. And they're like, what's the angle? I'm like, there, there isn't an angle. People should know. And it yeah. will be interesting. How can we link it to Trump? And it, and unfortunately, like short-sighted commissioning editors who have pressure from their superiors to get views and get clicks. I understand it's a whole machine and not one person can kind of, you know, change it at the moment, unfortunately. Again, it's not some conspiracy, but it's just a mess. And it's just focused on, you know, how can we kind of rile up attention, essentially, Anger at the minute online very much causes a lot of attention, causes a lot of clicks and traffic. For example, a guy I know, Darius, a very good journalist, works for Channel 4, 
as a freelancer and the, you know, I'm not putting him in it here. He said it openly and publicly online. He wanted to do a piece about Shusha, um, this city that had been overran in Nagorno-Karabakh, that place between Armenia and Azerbaijan. They just finished the war there. There's been a brutal war going on for two months. The Azerbaijanis have been beheading people on camera, like filming it, um, tearing off people's ears, murdering civilians, executing people. And he wanted to do a piece saying, look what they're doing. And they were going to run it. They only wanted a two-minute piece. This is Channel 4 News, which are kind of left-leaning and you would think more open-minded. Yeah. And they bumped it because some guy that works for the FA said something vaguely racist on Twitter. Now, obviously, we need to bring attention to racist because fuck them. But at the same time, like, are you really going to... You're going you're gonna to move off a, a horrific war crimes yeah. in favor of going, oh, look, someone said something racist on Twitter again. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. so ridiculous, you know? And that's the problem. It's, it's attention... Honestly, a lot of it is like a lot of people at the top of media, despite them kind of window dressing with more ethnic people. The problem is it's like very entitled, rich, white middle class people who have the, yeah. the kind of commissioning editor roles still. And until they actually put people from different backgrounds in them higher up roles, a lot of it is not going to change. You, you, you can't just go we've got 15 black or Asian hosts. It's okay now. No. Why are they just the hosts? <laughs> yeah, Why aren't yeah, they yeah. in the positions? They can do it exactly. Yeah. They can do it better than you can because they have a different life experience. Right. And I'm not on some woke bullshit. I'm not about that, but it's just the truth. So anyway, to, to, to answer your question, sorry about why I started popular front. It was a disillusionment with mainstream media. And, you know, I've been covering war and conflict since I was 24. Uh, I'm 30 now. And in the last three years, I just saw it getting worse and worse. People weren't interested. When I would do a piece, they would cut it, make it small. They would not focus on the very intricate details of what tell you the most about war. So I said, you know what, fuck this. I'm going to start my own thing. We have no corporate backing. We refuse corporate advert adverts. Like we, we got like over a million unique downloads with no advertising whatsoever. You know, we're doing okay. It's blowing up. We've got a piece featured in the Times today, like the biggest broadsheet newspaper in the UK. We're doing well, and we've had no help from venture capital, nothing. We run it all via Patreon and merchandise and donations. And I want to keep it like that. You know, people say, oh, it's an anti-capitalist thing. It's not really. It's just an anti-corporate bullshit. We don't want that. The ethos is, it is like it is. Be honest about our biases. I've always said that. People say, oh, objective, objective. You can't cover war completely objectively because it makes you cold and a psycho. If you see a child, I've seen children with like shrapnel in their necks and stuff and they can't go to a hospital because the military will arrest them for being terrorists, even though they just got caught in a war. There is a part of you that has to just go, that's really bad. And one side here is being a lot worse. You know what I'm saying? Like the majority of the war crimes footage coming from the Karabakh war is from Azerbaijan. The government in Azerbaijan rewarded a man a few years ago who hacked a Armenian soldier to death with an axe in Europe on a peace meeting. You know, they they rewarded him. He's now a hero in their country. Now, I'm not saying Armenians are chill. Like, they have done a few ear cuttings recently. It's not good. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong. Jesus. But there is a vast majority of the war crimes are on their side. Mm. So people are saying, you're biased to Armenia. You love Armenia. It's like, well, actually... We're showing you what's happening and we're saying this is fucking terrible. Yeah. And if you think that's biased, that's on you. But like, we're not going to sugarcoat you. For an example, BBC ran a whole report and they stayed so objective that the only line they had about the multiple, I've seen 12 beheadings and ear cuttings, I think now videos. They said um, the line was, there are allegations of war crimes on both sides. 
There were videos on Telegram every day of Aziri soldiers cutting off heads and holding them. There was one yesterday where they cut a man's head off and placed it on a dead pig and kicked it. Like, how can you not report that? Yeah. How can you not go into the detail of that? Um, I think there needs to be some feeling and outrage within media. I think some people need to be held account and on a, on a kind of almost vicious way. When they're doing vicious stuff, you have to viciously report on that. And if it's horrible for you to see, tough luck. I believe if you're living in peace, you have to be aware of the people that aren't, you know? I totally agree. I totally agree. Cause I, and I think this is why I like what you do is because I didn't know half the fucking stuff that was going on in the world, mate. And, and like, it's completely my fault for, for not researching it. Right. But I'll be honest with you. I have a great life. I've got things to do and I don't want to spend half my day trying to work out what's going on with, with the Armenians, if you so, if you know what I mean. And, and, no, I, and no, I don't mean that in a selfish way, but what, what your kind of, what your platform does is gives me this information that I need to know that mainstream media is not telling me. Um, I was just, yeah. I was watching the, the China uh, protests and riots videos that you guys did. In Hong Kong, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in Hong Kong, yeah. And I was just like, I just, <clears throat> I, you see what, you see what the BBC tells you and then you see what's actually happening on the ground. How, how does it take, how long does it take you to kind of get to these places and like actually be allowed to go into these places and kind of report? Because it, it's, not, it's not easy just, I can't imagine it being just get on a plane and rock up with a no. camera. No, I mean, firstly, just for answer that question, I will say like BBC and a lot of people do very good reporting. Like there are some incredible war reporters there, like uh, Quentin Somerville, excellent war reporter. But the problem is they don't get enough airtime. No, and that's what I mean. That, yeah, that's yeah, exactly right. what I mean. Like I, I know there's good people. I, I've got but, friends that work in the BBC as well and they're great, but it is, we want to sugarcoat everything. We want to be careful with everything we say. Exactly. And that's not how I am. That's not how we are as people, right? We want to just be told it. That's not how most people are. This is again, comes back to, I think it's, I don't want to rant on about politics, but a lot of it is a class issue. There's a certain temperament that people within mainstream media have or big media, I would call it. And their temperament is often very different to the people that consume the news actually. And the temperament of people that consume it are ready to be given the reality. They're not stupid. There's this horrible idea within media that like, people are kind of stupid or they don't have attention spans. It's not true. It's not true. People will binge watch eight hours on Netflix. It's just not true. But you have to give them in a way they want to absorb it. So to answer your question, like the way I get into these places, now it's a lot easier because I've got like, you know, like a solid seven years. I've got good work. I've made mistakes here and there, but there's been no huge fuck ups on my part, you know, and I think people trust me. I go into a lot of detail. I'm not scared to go to the front and say, this is bad. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, as a lot of war reporters are not, you know, there's some amazing war reporters out there. But I think for us, we have a lot of trust now with people where it's like, look, I'm going to cut. And I'm always honest, you know, with the 3D printed gun thing, I said to them, look, I don't agree with what you're doing straight up. I don't think it's good. I understand. And like, I get on with you guys, you know, on a personal basis, we get on fine. We have a similar culture or background or entertainment things we're both interested in or but I don't agree and I don't think it's good and I'm not going to do an advert for you and they were like all right cool and you know and the guy who I made the doc he had to see it before I put it out 
only I don't normally do that, but just because of security purposes, I have to protect my source, totally. even if I don't like him or under, or agree with him, you know. And he was like, "Well, I don't like the way you did this, but fair enough." And it's like, "Well, there you go, bro. Like yeah. that's how it is." So I think people know we're not gonna fuck them. Like I, I you know, like people always say, "I'm I'm too pro Kurdish, too pro YPG." And I've said to the Kurds and that, I said, you do a war crime, I'm telling everyone. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, if I see it, I'm doing it. I'm showing you. So it's one of them ones where I, I think for Popular Front, it's, it's an alternative for people because we do get stuck in, like, you know, our documentary that we did with the Hong Kong protesters, like you mentioned, we focus specifically on the frontliners. Yeah. People can, you know, they slur us and they say, oh, it's riot porn. It's like, well, there are about four or five very detailed interviews with these kids you find out things about them that no one else was doing really like we got we got stuck in with them we went we saw their safe house you know we were with them the whole way and there is a part of people that are in conflict when they see your shoulder to shoulder to them it's not macho it's like i'm there to be like hey i want to experience what's going on here to fully understand it you know and you can do that in a I guess away from the action, but I think you do need to be involved in the action to a degree because there are things on a front line that if you're observing will tell you things that you didn't realize. Totally. Like even the way people look at each other, perhaps as they're communicating, you can see, ah, there's a power dynamic here that they're perhaps not being honest about on their propaganda, you know, like in Syria with the YPG and the Kurds, the way they present, what they're doing is a lot different to the way it is on the ground. You know, yeah. I mean, they're not like bad guys or anything, but there's obviously a very strict hierarchy of power within the military because they're at war. They have to. Yeah. There's obviously a lot of problems within this kind of left libertarian utopia they're trying to build, which they don't often tell you about. So it's important to be right next to it, I think. And we do that by just being honest, I think. And we get on like the people I have on my team, like I have people that I trust, you know, like, and I have people that I know can communicate with people. They're not turning. I've seen reporters turn up and you can just feel the presence of them is the big I am. They're with their team. Yeah. And they kind of turn it on when the camera's on. And when the camera's off, they're like, see ya. And they go back to the hotel. We don't do that, man. We eat with them. We stay where they're staying. We smoke their cigarettes. We drink their tea, which sounds I don't mean that in like some kind of like white savior guy like with Lawrence <laughs> of Arabia. People out there don't see it like that anyway. That's just some diaspora bullshit. But, you know, they appreciate you being there and they yeah. appreciate that like we're interested in their lives. It's not just like the action. It's like I want to go to the front line because I know how their lives are going to be affected by having to go there. Yeah. That to yeah. me is is way more interesting than a bit of bang, bang. Sure, there's an excitement to that. I'm not going to lie. It's very uplifting in a very fucked up way you know there's a very weird thing about being on the front line where you realize your problems don't perhaps matter Um, so that that can be addictive in a way but also the most addictive thing for me is just being around these people in surreal parts of the world in surreal environments and just seeing how they like survive and cope despite all their tragedies happening and all the oppression and i just find that so interesting and i think it's important to report that up close you know and i'll never change it and people like we've got a big fan base a lot of people love what we do and a lot of people don't like what we do and that's okay i say look it's not all for you like it's not popular front isn't for everyone media should stop trying to be for everyone you know it should be for we're very niche and it is what it is you know it's niche but i don't think it's 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 not what i was saying about me about more so the mainstream media it doesn't feel like you have 
agendas going in like political agendas or anything like that and i think that's what i struggle with 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 mainstream media or social media and things like it's always politically agendarized if that is a such word and yeah. it just feels like you're just telling how it is because i with the i watched your chop documentary last night yeah um about Chaz. did, did you go there or was that somebody else that was i can't go to america unfortunately um <laughs> my stupid court case in turkey uh, okay <laughs> which is ongoing still i mean i could but it's a very very long process to go yeah like yeah i need to pay an immigration lawyer a fortune to get it sorted but no uh, i didn't go there but i had a like two guys like very cool guys like a little team they were like hey man we want to make this for you honestly at first i was like fuck the chaz fuck the chop it looks like a white liberal powwow you know like oh blah blah but i think the most interesting element once they started showing me the footage they filmed was there was this disconnect you know where the black community you see it in our doc right they're saying like we appreciate you being here for us, but you need to let us speak. Yeah. And you know, like when a lot of white anarchists start destroying a shop, like, you know, I'm not against vandalism. I, I think who gives a fuck if it's, if it's not an independent business and it, it's a part of the process. You know, I don't agree with it, but whatever yeah. it gives a fuck. But when they start doing that and then the black community is left behind and they start getting kind of more um, scrutinized by these right wing media pundits in the U S they're kind of like, look, you've made us look really bad here. Like, you know what I mean? You came to help and you did a lot of damage in a way. And I think there's a lot of people in the CHOP documentary who are very interesting and very honest. You know, there's a good dynamic between the black community there and the white people trying to help them. And I believe in solidarity and unity between people. And I don't believe in any of this stupid woke nonsense, but you have to listen to the people that are in the most problematic situations, right? Totally. Uh, Chop had a very strange dynamic there, as you see at the end when a load of people got killed. Dude, so, when when I watched it, I was I'm and I'm still unsure about it. I'll be yeah, honest. Yeah, good, and you should be, like. I'm, there was no answer in it, right? There yeah, no and yeah. like be- before going into it, I was like, "This is gonna this is gonna agree with what I have in my head that this is a, just a load of bullshit and that this." <clears throat> is extremely leftist and people kind of taking advantage of the kind of black people and black lives matter kind of movement and things like that. But it kind of did completely the opposite. And that's interesting. How so? Because I didn't, I didn't know that much about it if I'm totally honest with you. And I had this thing that it was, people took over the streets or a a group of people took over the streets and was almost running it how America is being ran, but they're just doing it themselves. And it's, and, and I thought that's what it was. And it, it was to a certain extent, if you know what I mean? Like if the, if people, I completely disagree with, police brutality i'm pretty sure that 99 percent of this world disagrees with that but then when you've got people um guarding with guns and also shooting at people that's you're just doing that exact same thing as what the police are doing so does that make you better or the same 
when here's, here's, here's where I differ with you on that. I know what you mean, but I so first of all, I had a lot of respect for so you see in the documentary, there's like white leftists, yeah, and I know some of the groups like the the John Brown Gun Club, yeah, they're yeah. not particularly hyper political, yeah, they're just like we're white working class, any anyone can join, but yeah, they're yeah. mainly a white working class armed group that believe in you know being self-defense and yeah. their argument is in a country full of guns and police killing black people and in an improportional way and we know a load of black people are out here they went there and there was a lot of right wingers were turning up like yeah. proud boy guys and those fucking freaks and there was even some like actual nazi groups kind of hanging around so i kind of had respect for them. they were like yeah like we're gonna put our lives on the line and say yeah we'll, we'll defend our black brothers and sisters However, like you said, it then became a problem. There was also a gang element where some kind of gang members from the area got involved. Yeah. And then it became like, well, these guys are not like trying to protect the people. They're trying to assert dominance, as yeah. you've said, which again, exactly what the police are doing. That's the problem. It didn't have enough structure. People think that anarchism, for example, which was a kind of quite a strong element there, or, or at least people think it was, Anarchism doesn't mean complete. It's not the def dictionary definition of the word anarchy. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like freedom, but with order. So you, but I think a lot of people there were like, no rules. So like you can't just have no rules. No. Like, you know what I mean? It's like abolish the police. It's like, if you actually mean never have any policing of the community, the community is never going to be safe. Yeah. You know, like who, who are you going to call the fucking socialist book club if your sister gets kidnapped? Like you need people that can protect the community. Now, I have a very big issue with the police that I don't want to go into too much. I have a very big problems with the way they do their stuff, but I'm not against policing, you know, in Rojava, for example, in, in Kurdistan, North, Northeast Syria, they have loads of police. They're, they're meant to be, you know, they're called the Asaish. They're kind of a security force for the people. Yeah. Now, even them, a few of them are getting a little bit too police-like and people will tell you that, but generally they're trying to protect the people from fucking ISIS or they're trying to make sure because a big part of their ideology is female equality. So if they find out that there's people in the area that obviously in Syria, that's not a big, people don't like <laughs> female equality very much. No. So if they find out that there's like some guy beating his wife, they'll go in and sort it out. That has to be done. Yeah, totally. You know, there are certain rules that have to be implemented, yeah. you know, for a free, for freedom, for people to be free yeah. without rules anyone can oppose themselves on other people and that's the opposite of anarchism or leftism in, in my opinion so you actually like hit the nail on the head there i think like i know sorry i know that's a very weird way of going around no, no, it, man, i get it the way it developed you're right it turned into like gangs trying to be the police and to be honest a lot of the like like leftist armed groups that i spoke to agreed you know off camera perhaps or like in personal messages they kind of were like, we just left after a while. We realized that it was becoming a gang element. People were trying to tell people, you can't do this here. Yeah. And it, it kind of became, not, but not in a protective way. It became in a way of like, this is our domain. We can sell our drugs here. And it's like, come on, man. You, you're just, you, you're creating lawlessness. You're not creating equality and, you know, shared libertarianism. You're just fucking people up you're just going backwards in life, right? It's not, there's no progression. There's no, there's no movement forward into the future. It's just, you're almost going back to how America used to be back in the, the mob days when the police weren't around or they were yeah. just getting paid off. And I think it's kind of gone, gone to the other extreme now where they feel like they own, own the, the country. But the thing is, and 
I, this is kind of an unpopular opinion and I know people were probably going to give me shit for saying this, but red flag. Yeah. <laughs> no, <go> watch <laughs> out. <laughs> but I, it's, we only see the bad bits of the police, right? We only, we're only ever going to be showed that the bad bit and the bad bit shouldn't happen. The 100% shouldn't happen. Um, but for me is what I've been trying to work out during this whole time is how do you get the bad out of these forces that you don't, that, that, that shouldn't be there? How do you get that? Because you put a hundred people in a room, guaranteed a few of them are going to be dickheads. Oh, and, yeah. and you oh, give, you give, yeah. And you give that percentage a gun or you give that percentage a taser, they're going to use it. Mm. So how, I don't know how, but I don't know if don't you have an answer. I don't have an answer. Like I, I'm, you know, a lot of leftists very much hate me because of uh, they were saying, "Oh, you're such a fucking nihilist." Whatever. I don't care about those labels. But there is no revolution. No. There is no revolution never coming. The 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 power that is there. I, I'm really annoying myself because I'm sounding so political. But you get my point. There, there's nothing gonna happen, man. What you think? Police can reform themselves? Like no. no. <laughs> like what? It's not gonna happen, man. There is. Look, there's no revolution coming. The utopia is never going to happen. At the end of the day, life is imperfect. And I think you just got to kind of try and live the way you can within your own beliefs. And if we can help people out, you know, we can help them out. I mean, a, a weird example that just came into my head is um, there's like, you know, big issue, right? In the UK where yeah. that charity that helps homeless people, they take a lot of a lot of money themselves, actually. There's a better group that I know called, um, they call themselves Dope. It stands for something. It's not about drugs. Yeah. And like what what they're doing is amazing. They're just like giving the, the it's a one they're non they're not even non profit they're anti profit they won't take profit and they help these homeless people and you know I've had discussions with them and they're talking about like you know and they're kind of anarchists and whatever and they just said like I don't know what we are who gives a fuck we're helping people yeah, we're man. helping homeless people like that's what we do and it's like yeah man like maybe maybe step off Twitter and go and you know volunteer at the soup kitchen or go and help someone out that is you know, real community effort. And actually there's a big bad rap because a lot of the Twitter bubble is just that it's a very small bubble. Something like 22% of America is on Twitter. It's essentially inconsequential in the larger scheme of things. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I, you know, I shit on a lot of American leftists, but I know a lot of them doing very good work. They don't talk about it. They don't put it on Twitter and they're not having beefs over who said what bad word, you know, they're doing the work, they're helping people. And that's all we can do, I think, you know, and I don't think that should be particularly like brutally political either, you know, like certain people will be, you know, I saw something where there was some like steel worker that was a Trump supporter. I mean, fuck Trump. But at the end of the day, I think his business went out, you know, he basically he was fucked, but he was destitute because of the situation of COVID. And I saw people like, ha ha, tough shit MAGA supporter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck. It's Fuck like, that. come on, man. Like, really? Like, he lives in some rust belt. Like, again, the world is made up of imperfect people. And just what I think is good for people doesn't mean it's right. You know, I'm not totally. saying what I think is right. I think it's right in my own self. But I'm not going to tell you that, like, oh, you should fucking die because of this. Obviously, they're an example, different, you know, racists. I despise them. Fascists. I despise them. I don't care about what happens to them. But you know what I'm saying? There are levels to it. It's but, like, but you wouldn't be going online asking people to kill them, right? No, like, fuck it. Like, like come on. I mean, look, if, they, if they're, look, if, if there's a, my opinion is, 
you know, I did a lot of reporting on an armed Nazi group in the US called Atomoff and over the last two years, they were planning terror attacks. They were yeah. trying to kill people. They were trying to, they killed people. They killed five people. Um, I mean, if they want to do that, they want to take your freedom away. Self-defense. Fuck them. Why not? Yeah. Like maybe they, maybe, you know, if, if a Nazi comes to my door, I'm, I'm not going to shake their hand, put it that way. Yeah. So, you know, there is an element where I'm not saying they should be killed, but if they want to kill you, what are you going to do? Yeah, Let it yeah. happen. No. However, this whole, this whole idea of like your MAGA, you should die. <laughs> it's like, really? Like we're living in a small space of time here. We don't need to be calling for the death of everybody based no. on stuff like that, you know? I mean, what about all these despotic regimes that America is and will continue exporting arms and money to? Exactly. More focused on that, I would argue, but that's me. That's what I think. But what, so What's your thoughts on the whole, uh, the word Nazi? Because... You've you've so you've, you've done a lot of kind of reporting with regimes that are against neo Nazis, um, and also like you said, the the, the Nazi group in in America. Like well, it gets thrown around so much. It gets thrown around so much that it's almost become like a phantom of a word. Yeah. Now my problem is as well this thing of fascism as well. Like I've done a lot of. I sound like big brain meme now, but like, you know, I've done a lot of reading on fascism and fucking left and post left and far right. And just my interest, I've always yeah, been interested in it. So it annoys me when someone goes, that guy's a fascist. It's like, well, you know, fascism is a very specific ideology. Yeah. He might be right wing. He might be far right. And he might be a, like a horrific authoritarian, but he's not, he's not always, that doesn't always mean fascist. Now, that's not to excuse fascists. Fuck them. I just think in terms of language, you have to be correct. <laughs> you yeah. have to be correct with things. If someone is a racist, he might not necessarily be a Nazi. You know, to be a Nazi, you have to believe in national socialism. A racist and a Nazi is as bad as each, as bad. It's disgusting to me. It's the same thing yeah. as in how horrific it is. But we must be correct in our speech. If you just say he's a Nazi... And you throw that around. Well, then what else can then start getting thrown around without the full meaning of it? You know what I'm saying? It's like, I really just think you have to be specific because these these words have long histories of violence and meaning behind them. So to properly investigate them and stop them, we have to be very specific on what they believe. Yeah. Because otherwise they just get all mixed up in a weird milieu and they can just start shifting out. They can just start escaping you have to say, no, that's the Francoist section of this fascist group. They're the Nazis. They're the Nazi Bols. Believe it or not, there's like a far-right Bolshevik group. You know, like, <laughs> you, I think you have to be very specific because they are. They define themselves very specifically on these stupid, niche, right-wing ideologies that they have. So if they're doing it, that's the way they characterize themselves. To build a map, which me and my friends have done, I have a team where we, we research all these Nazi movements and fascist and white supremacist movements you have to be very specific on like what they're doing to map them out to find out where they might go next for example the proud boys i mean they're a bunch of fucking losers but i don't think they're nazis they're like they're they're american nationalists yeah. like that like that wouldn't be nazism because that would mean they want they're, they're like hyper capitalist like like right far right guys yeah a nazi would want national socialism okay. which is completely different to what trump is doing so <laughs> yeah. why would they be pro-trump if the, the, the actual nazis for example atom often hate trump yeah because he's against they don't mind right-wing shit but they just they, it's not their ideology 
So to understand them, we have to be very specific, I think. So yeah, throwing the word Nazi around at everything you don't like is like, you know, I, I saw this crazy researcher refer to me once as a Nazi because <laughs> I said that that, that podcast come town, I don't know if you ever heard of it. No. It's just like a very stupid, immature podcast. And I was, you know, I was like, it's pretty funny sometimes. Yeah. And then she called the guy like a Nazi and said that I'm like a Nazi adjacent. Like, luckily, a load of people came to my defense. Was like, this guy's fucking like tracked a fucking Nazi terrorist group for the last three years. Like, what the fuck? But you know what I mean? Like, when people can start doing that to people that are clearly not Nazis, it destroys the meaning of the word. And then you have to remember, brave young men and women fought and yeah. fucking died to stop Nazis. So to just throw that word around empty without thinking of all that, I think is irresponsible. It, it, I understand yeah. why they do it, but it's irresponsible. One of my best mates, he comes from a Jewish family. And mm-hmm. um, I remember like a couple of summers, he lives in LA, a couple of summers ago, we he, he like just took his t-shirt off or something. And he's got a tattoo with the Star of David. And I was like, dude, what's that number for? And I, he was like, that was my, that was my granddad's number in, in the concentration camps. And I was like, <clears throat> that was literally like two generations ago. And then now, two generations later, people are throwing around this word almost like it has no power to it. Yes. And I think words have power and meaning, right? They do, man. And and I think I think people forget that. Mm. That it was literally eighty, not even eighty years ago when the world was at war millions Mate, it was of yesterday, people yesterday basically in the time it was it was nothing like, it was like a blip yeah i i met one of the first things i ever did i, I met with um a holocaust survivor i think she she lived the longest time in auschwitz somehow she survived for like two years or some shit Damn. it was a very long time ago i forget how exactly she swerved all that but um yeah and it, it was just like i remember just thinking like she was in a concentration camp like yeah. she she's alive like it's so brutal and there are concentration camps now you know like in china right now the Uyghur muslims are put in concentration camps i mean there's a lot of very we call them tankies like hardline communists that are pro-stalin that say they're not concentration camps they are by every yeah. by every stretch of the word they are um and it's just like you know what happened to never again and, and again, like uh, my point is, if you start like throwing words around that have a very serious history behind them where they shouldn't be used, it does dilute it. What hap- the biggest problem, right, is this happened to me a while ago, like a couple of years ago when the woke culture wars, wars were really high. Before someone said, this guy's a Nazi, I'd be like, whoa, fuck, what? Let me look yeah. at this as a Nazi. What's he doing? Let me find out. And it got to the point where I was like, oh, that guy's not a Nazi. He's just like a fucking prick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Gavin McInnes, like he's a fucking dickhead he's not nazi like you know i think he's a white supremacist probably but he's not a nazi he's not a national socialist yeah he's fucking up trump's ass so it got to the point where i was just like i would just tune out yeah i was like oh again is it nazi being thrown around again just couldn't even be bothered that's very dangerous it is i'm like that i'm a fucking lunatic like i'm really into like you know hardcore shit imagine what like a guy just trying to get by and like find out a little bit about the world is going to do when he sees that he's going to be like what they're not nazis like you're going to tune out it's too much noise you know what i'm saying yeah the more noise doesn't mean more listening it actually does the opposite it totally. just turns you off you know how did we get to the point in where we are nowadays with 
concentrations camps happening in China? That's a great question. One I don't really know the answer to, but is it is that is are you are you have you done any research? Or oh, I'm sure you have, but in China or, or how? Because I don't have a fucking clue. Like so China is, you know, I mean China, it's the, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, but Again, this is another word that's lost meaning, right? And I'm not a communist. I have communist friends, but I, you know, we argue. I'm like, I think your ideology is fucking stupid. I don't like any statism, but whatever. Communism is whatever. It's not this big evil. Stalinism is the big evil. The Soviet yeah. Union was fucking disgraceful. But the idea of just communism on itself is whatever. Yeah. So again, this word has lost its meaning. So people say, oh, you know, there's a communist state. China is communist in no way possible, you know, like they're, they're, a, they're a state, hyper state capitalism. It's an authoritarian like state and they have the guise of communism and they certainly use a lot of the basis of communist ideas, but it's its own behemoth now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's it's beyond the realm of just communism. Um, and, you know, it, it's just this brutally authoritarian state, but it's incredibly powerful a lot of money goes through there and it's beneficial for a lot of Western countries to have good trade deals there. You know, all of our shit, everything we're using right now has probably been made in China. Exactly. You know, um, so, you know, unfortunately money speaks more than oppression and people will just say, Hey, fuck it. You know, I mean, look at the UN, the UN delivers a little statement. The UN is deeply concerned. Just Google that one time, Google NATO, deeply concerned or UN deeply concerned. See how concerned they are. They're very concerned, <laughs> but they've been very concerned for a long time. Now, I'm not arguing that they should just invade every country and start murdering people, but I think the problem is, or at least the thing that to understand this question you've asked me is to understand that these big safeguarding, um, like, I don't know what you would call them, institutions like NATO, UN, all of that, EU, it's not, they're not moral institutions. No, and I no. think that's where people trip up. You know, they don't have morals, they have values, but they will just shit on those values when they want. This week, the, the British Air Force, the Royal Air Force, right? They had a tweet and they were bragging, we've been on a joint operation with our partner, NATO, our NATO partner, Turkey. Turkey, the, the, the second biggest jailer of journalists uh, in the world, you know, yeah. you can go to prison for a tweet in Turkey. They they have got away with war crimes. Like there is footage of NATO Turkish soldiers executing prisoners of war and kicking them off a mountain that has been verified and it came out three years ago. Wait, NATO. say that again. So so there's a there's a video of like Turkish soldiers executing two female militants, Kurdish militants. They shoot them and kick them off of a mountain. It's verified. And, NATO, and is that NATO? Yeah, they're, NATO, they're NATO's second largest army. NATO didn't even release a deeply concerned statement. They didn't even acknowledge it. So, so when that happens, and then our country is saying, we're, we're with our NATO partner, you, you do have to ask, when you look a bit deeper, well, what do we stand for? What does yeah. it actually stand for? Now, I get that you can't just go, fuck you, Turkey, like, because, you know, that's my immature way of dealing with it. Yeah, yeah. But thank God I don't run NATO, <laughs> you know? Like, thank God I don't run the world. I'm a fucking shithead. But at the end of the day, you do have to look at these things and say, well, they're not a moral, you know, they're diplomatic. Yeah. But they're not a moral organization. And that's how it's happened. You know, never again happened. Never again, never again. Well, it's happening. Yeah. It's already yeah. happening. We, You know, we've got concentration uh, camps in a time when people... That were in concentration camps are still alive. Yeah. 
what happened in Myanmar when they massacred all the all the Muslims? Like, it, you know, like, and then you've got like there's a big onslaught of like anti-Jewish sentiment now that is raising within the left, and it, it's just like this idea that these these kind of institutions are something you should put moral trust in. I just think is is misguided. You know, I, I really, for me, a lot of it came to a head when like the Brexit thing happened. I wanted to stay in the EU yeah. just because I was like, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. But then I was walking down the road and seeing motherfuckers flying EU flags outside their house. Like what? Like your pride in the EU. It's like within our values, within our morals, it's the European morals. Like, all right, what about the, the horrific corruption that the EU is involved in in Africa? You yeah. know, like what about that? Like, is that our values? I just, I don't know. No icons, I think. Fuck the icons, bro. Like, just, you know what I'm saying? I but. totally agree. I think with the whole EU thing, that it's kind of scary leaving the EU because what the EU was set up for after yeah. after World War II and everything like that. And you're just kind of like, it's not good to have teams to a certain extent because, or sides or anything like that. However, when something's been set up, in the grand scheme of things, it's a safety barrier where to kind of prevent war at the end of the day with, with, right. with, within each other. Uh, obviously, that's not the only reason. It's not the only reason, but mm. I think... How, how much do we prevent the war? Exactly, I mean, and this is this is the like, argument against it, is that... It's not happening next door, but it's happening for other motherfuckers big time. And we're jumping you know, in on we're it. We're not helping them. We're jumping in on it. America's paying, sending all the all the arms over there. England, England sending troops over. What's your thoughts on the whole uh, wars in Iraq and Afghan and fighting against ISIS and everything like that? What do you think it's good that we have we send troops and we do all of this? Do you think it's actually made a difference? You like you've been on the ground there. Like I don't know. Yeah. I know friends that have been in the army that have been on the ground, but they're very polarized on yes, war should have happened or war shouldn't have happened. Yeah. 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 Soldiers are different. You know, I've got a few friends that are soldiers and we have a very big disagreements, you know, and, it, and it's good, like good, good friends, mm. not falling out, yeah. but you have to understand like there's a big difference between someone that has gone to fight for their country in a different country yeah. to me who observes it. I've never shot a rifle in my life. I'm not interested in the army as a, you know, I never want to be a soldier or anything like that. So I do have a different perspective. I get what you're saying. Um, And I, it's a hard question, man, because, Look, ISIS was essentially like the Nazism of our generation in a way, you know, yeah. what they would do. I mean, they're, they're hardcore, that you talk about fascism, like the, the ideology of ISIS is pure fascism, Islamist fascism, but no less fascism, you know, um, literally even to the point, I mean, to the point where their political structure is set up like that, you know what I mean? It's yeah. a form of fascism, I could argue. Um, but anyway, um, so so it's one of these ones where, we caused, and by we, I mean like Britain and the West caused so much problems in the Middle East that I think when ISIS cropped up, it would have been very bad to just go, we're out. Yeah. You know, I mean, once you kind of, you know, put your dick in the kind of beehive, you have to deal with it a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So I think that what we did was good on many levels. So I hate saying we, because I'm not a nationalist or anything, but you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. For example, the Kurds is a good example. Like, you know, they were fighting tooth and nail as they were just getting massacred by ISIS. And America and Britain and France, to a lesser degree, but mostly America, went in and started helping them with airstrikes. Now, if those guys didn't come and do the airstrikes, 
they would have been gone. They yeah. would have been wiped out. They fought very tough, but they would have been gone. Now, there's a lot of the very funny thing comes in here where like a lot of hardline communists online are like, fuck the fuck the Kurds. Because the Kurds, like the YPG is a le- like left libertarian movement. Yeah. Um, they used to be communists, but they, they stopped that in 1998. They have a new ideology now. They call it democratic confederalism. It's quite interesting. Anyway, so, so a lot of these hardline communists are like, wow, they're letting the imperialists in. And I'm like, what? So, so to keep you, internet communist, happy, they should have gone, well, we better just die. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Let's just die. Let's just be killed. Sorry, America. You know, so there's a lot of weird kind of strange battlefield um, kind of, I don't know, you help me, I'll help you situations that happened. And certainly with the help of England and America and France, the Kurds basically took out ISIS in their main stronghold in Iraq. You know, they don't hold ground like they did. That's very good. And I think it was good that we helped them because essentially their values are what we allegedly stand for, you know, like equality for races and religions, um, you know, anti-chopping off heads, you know, that's bad, yeah. obviously. So I think in that sense, it's very black and white. Like you stop the people that are massacring and taking sex slaves, you stop them. However, then you could say, well, oh, what, you're pro-interventionists. And I could, you know, I maybe I'm a hypocrite in that sense. You know, yeah. I think you have to accept that things are not black and white. I don't think there's a specific answer. It's like on some cases, I think, yeah, we we murdered and slaughtered our way through history. We had the empire. Now we have the best weapons. I think we kind of have um, uh, an obligation to go and help the people that we fucked up um, when they're trying to do whatever. But at the same time, where does that end? You know, like we got rid of Saddam. Obviously, Saddam was a piece of shit, you know, like you just read about what, what people did under his regime, you know, like drilling people in the knees for yeah. nothing was a big thing. So that's good that he's gone. But then but is it? And well, well, it, I think I think I, I'm, a, I'm an absolutist in that. I think even if life is worse or harder polit- or economically, dictators should always be gone. And I'm not saying okay. I'm right. And the people would argue with me on the ground. They're saying we should have still have Saddam. And no, I respect I your opinion, man. Uh, well, I can't live with I can't argue with them because they live there. Yeah, I'm exactly. Just yeah. Right. Yeah. But uh, it's just my opinion. Yeah. However, look what we did in Afghanistan. Like, OK, like we fought in Afghanistan. And then I, I was reading this great book recently where, you know, they brought in this thing, democracy in a box. Right. So they brought in Karzai and they brought in this other guy. And some of the ballots, there was like 200 percent attendance like two, like there's 200, you know, like, which doesn't exist. It wasn't in the, it wasn't in like the <laughs> meaning from the town. It was like, there's 200%. And there was towns where like more, more people voted than people that lived in the town. It was really corrupt. It was completely fucking fraudulent. The NATO and the UN were told they were presented with evidence. This isn't conspiracy. It's well documented by very good journalists. And they just kind of ignored it anyway. I'm like, fuck it. We have to have this guy. So it's like, did you deliver them democracy? Yeah, that's not democracy, is it? (laughs) Yeah, it's like, did you just give them a guy that was useful because you, you know, and we're still in Afghanistan. Like, you know, so there is no answer because then you could say, well, well, there's a thing in Somalia right now where there's, I think America is saying, let's just pull all our elitist troops out. And a lot of the Somalians are saying, please fucking don't because then Al-Shabaab or whichever the most militant Islamist group is there now, they're like, they will fuck us. You know, you can't come in and, and battle them and then just leave. You no. have to finish. And then, but then that is just like, what are you going to do? Create another fucking imperialist project? 
it's hard, man. There's no answer, really. There is no answer. War is brutal and it's fucked. And sometimes it's good to help. Sometimes it's not. <laughs> I don't know, man. War such a, know, it's sorry, such, man. A, such a wild thing if, if we think about it. Because it's always happened. It's never not happened. Do you ever, like, magic wand scenario, do you ever think it will ever stop? And if it, did ever, if it did ever stop, do you think it would be better? I mean, well, sure, peace would be better. But, like, war will never end. Like, ever. Yeah, it's human nature. Like, you know, it, it's definitely human nature. It's, um, I think a lot of people ignore that, especially in war reporting as well. I think a lot, a lot of the time people think, that if this element was removed, we'd be living fine, or it was all the fault of the West, or it was all the fault of the East, or it was the Islamists, or it was the Nazis, or like, there's always going to be someone being a prick, you know, I mean, my, my dad used to be like, very like anti-religion, um, like my family are Irish, and, you know, witnessed, not personally, but they saw like a lot of bad that the Catholic Church did yeah, in Ireland, you know, totally. particularly with like the pedophile scandal, just horrific Fuckers. and creating this weird sense of superiority around the church. So like our family were very like anti-religion in that sense. I remember my dad used to be like, oh, like fuck religion. If we didn't have that, we'd have peace. And, you know, flippantly, I don't think he really believed that. But as I got older, I remember just thinking, well, that's bullshit. Like, you know, people fight over which bit of grass is theirs. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and that's not to like say that, you know, land disputes and liberation fights are not worthy. Of course they are. You know, you need your homeland. And, you know, patriotism, which is not the same as nationalism, despite what people say, patriotism is kind of saying, like, I like my people and the way we live and I want to protect that. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, you yeah. know, I, I fucking hate the government. I hate the British state and I hate the, like I said, my family are fucking Irish. They, like, murdered my family. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, like, I, I hate all that. But I love Britain. I love yeah. my people. I love my fucking neighbours. I love what I believe Britain is at the core. And that's not white or anything. That's all of us. You could be any fucking colour and be British. Yeah. If you have the values that we have, you want to get on and you're just trying to, you know, I like that. And a lot of people live like that. And it gets very skewed in the media of, like, nationalist this or or they're just trying to take land. Often it's people trying to just protect the way they live. And totally. the reason I'm pointing that out is because I just think that like, that's going to be like that forever because each side thinks they're right. Totally. You know, yeah. like yeah. this Azerbaijan Armenia thing has been a very big issue. Karabakh is Armenian. Karabakh is Azeri. Well, I was saying, well, there were fifth century fucking Armenian cathedrals in, uh, in Karabakh. I would argue that it's Armenians. But then who am I to say that? An Aziri could say, well, hey, we, you know, they, you know, there was massacres that Armenians carried out back in the day against the Aziris, which they carried out as well against Armenians. So there is no real correct answer. You know what I mean? And yeah, totally. I don't think it's ever going to stop, mate, unfortunately. I really don't. I don't know how it could. So the other day I was listening to your drone warfare podcast. And that yeah, gave I love me, that episode, that, yeah. That gave me the shits, man. That that's me as well. <laughs> and the one the 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 one when they it was like the drone um are you still there? Hello. Yeah, yeah, we broke up for a second. Yeah, right, the, yeah you're back on. Yeah, yeah. The drone yeah. that went through that car and then cut the dude up. Bro, the uh, like, what is it like? They call it like the fucking I can't remember what they call it, man. But it's like samurai. a samurai tool <laughs> drone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That shit is scary, man. So, so then it's really interesting because I listened to that podcast and then like 
maybe a week later, um, the UK announced that they're putting an extra 16 billion into the like drone production. Yeah. Drone production. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting that I just listened to that podcast. And in that podcast, it was very clear that the, the British aren't really in anything to do with drones from, from that podcast. Obviously well, they use them. We, we use we them. Of, sorry. Sorry. Go on. We use them, but it, from what I kind of gathered, we weren't in, in the technology space at all, but I, I could be wrong. No, you're not wrong in it. Well, you are in a way, but not in a way. Like we, we house a lot of this, the companies that do it. We let okay. them trade. We give them stipends. Like we also hold the biggest fucking arms conferences where we let all these <laughs> horrific dictatorships come to England and basically help each other oppress people with brutal killing technology. You know what I mean? So we are very much involved in that. We supply Turkey with a lot of like money, um, which helps them make drones, which they've been using in, you know, Azerbaijan to kill Armenians left and right. So we are involved very deeply. <laughs> Actually, we just do it in a crafty way, you know. Just don't put it out on on the newspapers. Yeah, exactly. They, they don't have Union Jacks on, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they very much <laughs> got the British heart, if you like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Unfortunately. It's but such a shame, drunk, man. It's such a shame because... Yeah. Will it... It, it's obviously changing warfare and I don't know if you've experienced any of it whilst, whilst reporting, but how there's that classic Einstein quote that world war three will be, um, will be fought by, uh, buttons and technology. And then world war four will be, will be, uh, fought with sticks and stones. Like, obviously there's, you see it and there mm. are people that are fighting with sticks and stones. Almost literally. I mean, yeah, well, actually a funny, not funny, a fucked up thing, but there was um, a situation recently with Indian troops and Chinese troops on the border. Um, and they have like uh, some weird agreement where they're not allowed to be armed. And they ended up in some skirmish and there were like guys smashing people in the head with rocks. They were like literally fist fighting. There's footage of just dashing rocks at each other. A few of them got like knocked off the side of a fucking mountain, you know, so that actually happened. Like that was, that was this year. That was crazy. But in a sense, when you when I look at the Armenian situation, I bring that up again because it's recent and I've been yeah. focused on it a lot. And, you know, I very much like the kind of Armenian culture. I just find it very interesting. So I've read a lot about it. Um, but but like, so in a way, you know, they've got fucking, very, they're a very poor country, really, in the yeah. grand scheme of things. They've got, you know, machine guns, AKs, um, whatever they've got few tanks you know but but then the azerbaijan were dropping drones almost daily like big destructive drones and the footage was just insane um you know we spoke on spoke about them on that podcast the uh, suicide drones they call yeah. them or loitering munitions which make, makes them sound nicer than they are um and yeah they're just drones that they're it's just a flying bomb that just they find where it is someone controls it on like essentially a PlayStation controller and just goes like and just bam dead. So in a way they've literally, it's like David and Goliath for them. They were fucked. You know, they, they lost a lot. They fought very, very hard, but you know, they, they had no chance really. And you could argue that like a lot, again, going back to the 3d printed gun guys, you know, the main guy in our documentary was arguing that like, look at the resistance of Vietnam, look at the resistance of Afghanistan. You can fight these big governments with like small things and guerrilla warfare, 
drones are actually that was true until the drone technology started getting unbelievably um just more technical and more advanced you know like i do think that that's going to be a lot harder for guerrilla fighters and like separatist groups to rise up how do you escape that you know like they're not going to have anti-aircraft guns and if they are they've got to hit every time you can send out i think britain actually was was funding some kind of was it britain it might have been britain was funding some kind of um this new drone system where it's like a fleet of oh no it's china a fleet of like suicide drones i mean if you shoot down one 10 more are coming you know it's like getting snowballed by a group of like a gang at school you know you might dodge one but they're all gonna hit you um, eventually and you can't really safeguard from that you know other than going underground and then you know you're not fighting anymore are you no uh, have, have you um have you seen the documentary don mccullen yeah i love him incredible absolutely amazing photographer i love his work it's absolutely me a lot. yeah absolutely amazing and yeah. after watch i've watched that documentary about four times i think every time a mate comes around i'm like you have to watch this it's kind of yeah, yeah. kind of mind-blowing um Obviously, he talks about the kind of aftermath of what war has kind of had on him and being in these conflicts. Have you, are you, obviously, you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but are you, have you ever kind of experienced, uh, like PTSD or anything like that where you're, you, it takes a long time or maybe still? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I would say first, I've not seen anything compared to McCullin. Like, yeah. I've basically seen nothing compared, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? I've seen some bad shit, but McCullin was, he saw everything, yeah. you know, like that. I love his work so much. He really believed in getting up close. And he, he took a lot of pictures that a lot of people said he shouldn't have taken, but I think he should. Totally. He had a great quote. This is not verbatim, but he said something like, I think people should be shocked whilst eating their cornflakes on a Sunday. Just meaning like, you know, people need to know how bad this is, the yeah. the horrific nature of violence and, and that in war. So I've not seen anything near as bad as him and I've not experienced anywhere near as much danger, but I've seen enough to, I always said I've never had PTSD, but that was almost a bit of a hubris reaction from me after witnessing some journalists that almost, revel in having it a little bit you know yeah, it becomes yeah, a bit yeah. of a thing they talk about at the bar i'm very much against that i don't if you come for a drink with me mate i ain't talking about no war stories fuck that right. this is my work you know you don't want to put everyone in a bad mood being like look at you i've seen shit you know like it's not good um well it's, it's that it then becomes a dick dick swing in the competition doesn't exactly, it? exactly which it yeah. never should be you know no, and certainly cool. i make a lot of jokes very dark jokes about war but that's because i've almost inherited the comedy from the front line yeah like militants they deal with it with very dark comedy and i really like the way they do that and it's people think it's crass of me but it's i don't think it is it actually brings me closer to what they're experiencing in my own head is the way i, deal I with think it. it helps the actual situation when you're in it as well i i can only i can't very speak for myself so. but for friends that i know that are in the military and things like that very much so they're extremely dark people and they yeah have, yeah they yeah. have brutal yeah. sense of humor and yes. then you're like, well, actually, I get it. If you're in the worst of the worst, you're literally in the worst place that you can ever uh, wish to be. You're 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 killing people, yeah. Or you're seeing people being killed. Yeah. Like, if you can't have a joke, then then you're not gonna be. What else can you do? You yeah, know, exactly. and and laughter can at least put a lot of fear, 
just at the back of your mind. And also it's camaraderie, which you need if you're in a violent situation, you need people you can depend on and rely upon, you know, and that just comes into it. Um, but in terms of like PTSD, I suddenly realized as I got older, when I hit 30, like a lot of things really fucking hit me, man. And I think that some stuff that I witnessed at war that I kind of just tucked away in my head uh, surfaced in different ways. Like, like you know, like I brought this up before to someone. It sounds really weird because it hit me so hard, but like, like a heartbreak, you know, like with a, with a with a relationship, yeah, kind of it hit me in a weird way that I think the war shit made it worse. You know, it was almost like the person that I knew would always understand and could talk to is now gone. Yeah. Not dead, but gone. And then it's almost like that shit came back. And I was like, wow, that, that, even if you didn't talk to them, just being around them or whatever made it better. And then, and then you realize that now it's all surfaced again. My, my point is you need someone to talk to. I think that's totally. what I'm trying to say. And when you lose that support system, you fucking feel it more. So I think the way to kind of avoid the PTSD shocks is to have people to talk to, not even necessarily about the problems, but they'll just understand that like, you know, there's a bit of darkness in you and they, they can just accept it. And like, you can talk about it. Um, but certainly when I was in jail in Turkey, after that, I had some serious symptoms of PTSD that I didn't really realize they were PTSD until they went away and I started reading about PTSD a bit more. Nothing compared to what the actual, you know, people that are still in the jail there, like yeah. experiencing horrible stuff. You know, I was a white kid with a red passport. I didn't experience anywhere near as bad as what it could have been. Trust me, I heard some bad shit in there and I know that that wasn't happening to me, but it was happening to other people. Um, and it's just like, you know, it, afterwards, it really, I was like, yeah, that was a weird manifestation of PTSD. I mean, I feel okay now, you yeah. know, but certainly, you know, I struggle with like depression and shit. Um, but I've kind of always been like that, you know, man. Like, I've kind of always been that guy, very dark humor since I was a kid, you know, like, and I just think, if anything, the war stuff just made it. I don't even know if it made it worse. It actually almost put things into context for me sometimes. It's like, you know, I'm a big believer in, not, I don't mean this in a macho way, but sometimes don't be a crybaby. You know, there's a time and a place to let out your, your issues and don't burden people with it because then you do feel guilty yourself as well, which makes it worse. You have to pick the right person and the right environment to talk to, uh, you know, and, and actually um, a very good friend of mine killed himself a week ago. Damn, sorry, man. Yeah, bro. And fucking, and you know, for him, like, life was just too hard, you know? Yeah. Like, there was no, um, I don't know, it just, there was almost no option. Now, there is always an option. You should never kill yourself. But you, you know what I mean? I understood within him that that darkness, he just couldn't escape it, you know? Yeah. So I think that some people, like, can't. But I think you should always fucking try. And, to you know, you just have to realize that, like, you know, I say this to a lot of people. Everything is temporary, really. Everything, yeah. actually. And what, you know, life can change in an hour, let alone a day. So it's one of them ones where it's like, when I feel down with the PTSD shit, I think about, you know, the people that have died out there that I know so many people that have died in war now. And just think, well, fuck it, man. I've got to be here and got to keep going because... My job was not for a fucking powwow. I'm not a fucking war tourist. Yeah. It's there to be like, hey, they died for something. 
you know yeah. whether i agree with it or not i do have respect for people that died for something they believed in um so yeah i mean i'm kind of rambling but you get my drift right no, I, man, do- I, I get it i i don't think it's that. i don't think it's as easy as a question to answer with especially the fact that i've known you for not long and yeah. it's it's kind of that thing um i don't want to talk too much about it but turkish prison how did that happen can I take a piss quickly? Of course you can, mate. <laughs> Sorry, <I'm laughs> so am I. I'm going to take one as well. Okay, I'm back. Quite possibly the best feeling in the world. Oh, literally. <laughs> <laughs> Better than sex, man. <laughs> um, so sorry, what are you asking? Turkish prison. Uh, how the hell did this happen? And what's the process <laughs> of going on now? I'm it's... still asking myself, mate, honestly. <laughs> so me and um, two very close friends of mine that I worked with a lot when I was at Vice, uh, my friend Phil Pendlebury and Mohammed Rasool, um, we were filming, it was the third time we were filming with this Kurdish militant youth group, um, basically like a liberation group. They're rising up in Southeast Turkey where the Kurds mainly live. Historically, that would be North Kurdistan or Bakur, as they call it. Uh, and, you know, the, the Turkish government has just been brutally oppressing them for a very long time. You know, like yeah. there's videos from, like I think, 1994, 96 of them going into this uh, little tiny town, Jizra, where we went um, just rounding up old people, like shooting them, you know, Jesus. like the unbelievable levels of torture. It was illegal to speak their own language, you know, real levels of uh, oppression. So they've been fighting for a very long time. There's a movement, a uh, militant group called the PKK. They're like the Turkish side of that other group I was talking about, the YPG. Yeah. Um, let me delete that. Um, and is my mic still on? Yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you're still on. It says it's disconnected. No, it's oh. definitely still on. Okay. Um, yeah, and and so so we were um, reporting on this this youth group basically that rose up. They were like the next generation, if you like. You know, they're yeah. kind of. They were back. They were like, we're going to take over the lands and, and, and you know, we're going to rise up and have our own territory, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, officially, they say they wanted an autonomous zone. Um, a book I'm writing about them now, I'm calling it that. But really, they wanted free Kurdistan. You know, they wanted their land. And obviously, the Turkish government says it's not your land. <laughs> so, you know, there's just been this brutal fighting. Um, and it was real, like, street to street urban warfare, like, really crazy like the fighting was like, you know, like in town, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the front line was between people's houses. Damn. So we were covering all that, got in as, at the height of the war, which it was like really brutal. Um, like loads of them just getting slaughtered. You're talking about like most of them teenagers with like, you know, weapons they dug out of the ground that they'd buried whilst the peace process yeah. was on. Yeah. You know, some of them, they were making a lot of homemade bombs. Some of them had like uh, small rocket launchers. But, you know, NATO's second largest army, they had no chance. And they set up, like, really stupid. They set up, like, static positions rather than guerrilla warfare, if you like. Yeah. And for a while, they took over their whole areas. To be honest, like, they kept the military out for a long time. It was actually incredible how they managed it. Kurds are very, like, adept at warfare just from years of fighting. Um, In all four parts of Kurdistan, they've just, you know, been fighting governments. And... And basically, yeah, we were filming with them. And when we were in their areas where, like, the police and the military couldn't literally couldn't step foot in, um, it was all right. But then we went to an area that was kind of contested. Like, part of it they'd taken, 
part of it was, well, most of it was very much still under control of the Turkish government. Yeah. And one day, man, they just picked us up, arrested us. They were like, you're terrorists. Randomly accused us of um, being ISIS at first. And we we're like, what? Like, I was like, I'd barely, I was like, I don't think I've ever really done an ISIS story even. Uh, they just wanted to look at our footage, basically. You yeah. know, and there is no real, like, you know, the police and the government don't have to follow anything that they can do what they want. Um, you know, it's a it's a regime essentially. That's the way it is. So we knew the risks, but at that time, it was a lot more open. It was actually a surprise to get arrested. It really wasn't. They weren't arresting journalists on mass. Yeah. You know, like they are now. Like I said, second biggest jail of journalists worldwide now. It definitely was not that back then at all. So they so they arrested us. We were in jail for like eleven days. Me and my friend Phil. Our friend Rasul, he's a Kurd. Now, a Kurd, Kurd in prison in Turkey is not good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, just living there is hard enough. But um, so so he was kept for 131 days. But Jesus. thank God, like, he's out now and he's free. He's good. But, um, but yeah, man, they just arrested us and they, they kept putting us in. We were in, like, four or five different prisons. Just kept putting us in these mad max security jails, like terror prisons. Fucking, even when we got released... We had to spend three days in a deportation prison with all these Chechen ISIS guys that had been caught on the border because they'd been fighting in Syria and they would come into Turkey to get treatment in the hospitals. Believe it or not, that you know that was happening. Uh, I don't think they asked too many questions. And, you know, we were in there and there was this one fucking guy, like this Chechen ISIS guy with like bullet wounds, like open wounds in his arm. And like his mate was like helping him every day. And it's like where the fuck did you guys just come from? We're just trying to go home, man. So, yeah, mate, we did all that little bit of time in jail in Turkey. And, and stupidly, the, um, the the court case is just going on for five years, you know, charged with terrorism and aiding and abetting or something like that. Didn't do anything. We didn't help them at all. We filmed them. Like, I mean, if anything, they, you know, we had some quite strong questions for them. Because I was saying to these youth, like, you know, are you really ready for this? Like, you've just murdered some police. Like, yeah. You know, did them police deserve it? Were they, you know, it was, I mean, you know, I get it. It's a war, but we weren't like, well done guys. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, we yeah. were like, well, there is reporters. Now, you know, obviously, you know, I'm openly pro-Kurdish um, independence. You know, totally. I think why they're the biggest um, race of people on earth without their own country, essentially. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, sure. They should have their own land. Like the same way I'm pro-Irish Republicanism. You know, I think Ireland should be reunified. Yeah. But yeah. they saw that as you are a terrorist, essentially, you know. And, you know, that was what it was. To be honest, I like over there, if you're not 100% In speaking it. the government line, you're a yeah, terrorist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like sense. last week there was a park, like a children's park. And there was a big star as like, you know, like the foam on the floor. They have like patterns. And it looked a tiny bit like the symbol of the PKK. And they like, they, I think they arrested the guy that got it built and like dug the whole park up in like a day and destroyed it. It's like, it's a very fragile, very fragile way to be, you know, so. So does yeah, that man. mean that you can't travel anywhere? No, no, I can travel wherever, but, well, I can't travel to certain places. Like I wouldn't be able to go to Azerbaijan, for example, which, you know, is considered like little Turkey. Okay. Um, I wouldn't. There's certain countries I wouldn't risk going to. You know, it's probably fine, but you never know. You, some, you never know. I don't, I, you know, we're not particularly on top of the list of who Turkey cares about. You know, we're no. not militants. We're not trying to hurt anyone. But certainly if we piss them off, you never know. 
an official might find out we're in a country and we might get spirited away. The next thing we wake up deported in Turkey, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like Kosovo, which is again, one of the EU's like best pals. Um, I think last year or the year before just randomly arrested, like I think four Kurdish like dissidents who'd left Turkey because they were going to be arrested and just basically kidnapped them and just sent them to Turkey. It's completely against the law um completely against the laws they're meant to be a part of within like you know trying to join the eu and or are they in the eu i forget whatever it is but there is whatever network they're in it's against it again nothing happened to them there was no punishment whatsoever the government went oh we don't know who did that like you don't you don't know who arrested <laughs> and deported them like you know what i mean who fucking was it? What's, so, um, so what's next man like you've you've got the 3d printing uh, mm. documentary coming out what, what have you got kind of planned what's what's um, exciting you what's what do you feel like you have to talk about so next year you know the patreon's doing well now we're at a point where we can it's just me like there's no like team team yeah. i mean there's a team as in like me my friend sam he makes all the music essentially me and him did it all together from day one um a lad adam doyle um spice bag dot xy on instagram check him out he's sick um <laughs> great name Great name, yeah, Irish lad. <laughs> fucking, he does a lot of our graphics. But basically, like, we've got to a point now where we can kind of, like, hire out freelance team, if you like. You know, yeah. there are boys in that, but I, I believe in paying everybody, you know. Totally. Like, when we had nothing, I said, look, you want to work with this, it's fine, but I can't give you nothing. Now we've got money, a bit of money. It's like everyone's got to eat, you know what I'm saying? I want it to be good like that. So we're slowly building up to that point where, you know, the big project I want to do is a series called Bad Signal. So it will be Popular Front, but it will yeah. be a series we do. Um, Popular Front presents Bad Signal, whatever. The name might change, I don't know. But um, basically it will be a series where we travel to all of these underreported conflicts that you just don't see in the news. Yeah. That will be the tagline, uh, the wars you won't see in the news, you know? And it's just, you know, I mean, I've got a list here, like Nagorno-Karabakh, Ukraine is still going on. There's an Amazonian English-speaking insurgency in in uh where is it near nigeria fuck where is it wherever it is rajava i'd like to go back there the polisario like situation in western sahara like these big wars going on congo has about 10 different wars yeah. kicking off right now you just don't see them or if you do it's very little coverage i would like to do a series where we go and do a whole episode in that country on the front line with civilians with whoever other sides if we can just saying like hey Here's what you don't know about. Here's what you should know. And here's what it looks like. Um, you know, my aim with journalism is always just to be, you know, young lads, young women like me or whatever age to just go like, oh, I didn't know about that. Now I yeah. do. You know, that, that's what I really want to do. You know, I'm not like out here trying to win awards or any bullshit. Uh, to be honest, journalism awards is a big racket. I saw it. Trust me. But, you know, I just want to kind of like just go to these underreported places. Um, you know, and Popular Front is known for covering them kind of things. So I think the next step would be to do like, you know, a whole series on it, really. No, man, I I absolutely love what you do. Um, and definitely, you, definitely keep it up. And if I can help at all, just let me know. Like, if I can promote anything, just send everything my way, and I can talk about yeah. it. Yeah, I, do I mean, if we can want. just, I mean, if I can just plug the Patreon, of that course, man, of course. Yeah. So, so the way, like I said, the way we're funded is uh, through Patreon mostly, um, and it's not just like supporters help us. We do bonus episodes. Um, we have a whole video series on there. It's called Too Cool for J School. It's kind of a joke. Like J School is journalism school. I never went to it. And I don't think you need to go to it to learn. You can do. But like we have a whole video series kind of saying like, here's things you need to learn if you want to be a journalist or yeah. whatever. Um, 
uh, we have like narrated articles. We have this like amazing like uh, research community discord where it's just like everybody's in the group just doing all like mad research into something. I don't understand half of it. Like <laughs> much smarter people than me and her, man. And yeah, we, there's a lot. You get a lot. You get like early access to episodes, you know, just loads of stuff is going on there. Patreon.com slash popular front. Um, and if you want to see the doc, go to youtube.com slash popular front. You know, it will be up today if FedEx ever deliver my fucking hard drive. But uh, we'll see. <laughs> nice one, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, it's been really good to catch up and hopefully Thank we can you, man. Appreciate hopefully it. we can do it again at some point over the years. Um yeah, when COVID's down, let's get um well I know you don't drink, but let's just fucking let's, do it. let's drink a juice or let's something, do it, you know. <laughs> Big love, man. Um and if anyone can follow you on Instagram, it's same Instagram.com for slash. Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So the popular front one, you're better off following that. It's a popular dot front. Um, if you want to follow me, it's Jake underscore Hanrahan, H-A-N-R-A-H-A-N. Nearly forgot my own fucking surname. Mate, um, I've been trying to get, get my head around your surname. Do you know what? Yeah, like the <laughs> Irish surname. In Ireland, it's so easy. Everyone's like Hanrahan, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In England, everyone's like Hanrahan. Hanra, Hanra. <laughs> you know, like, I, I always just want to say Hanrahan because I like... Everyone says that. Yeah. Hanrahan. Yeah. Hanrahan. But no, I understand, man. Um, it's funny, like a lot of my friends, like, I got like, like African friends and they got like really hard to say surnames. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I understand you're struggling. And they're like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, are man. You, are you in London? There. Nah, man. Midlands. Midlands. Whereabouts? I mean, I, I'm like, it's like an hour away. I'm often in London, man. Yeah. Okay, cool, man. Well, yeah. After COVID, let's, uh, let's catch up. 100%, man. Thank you very much. Big mate. love. Keep it. safe, mate. Take care. Later, man. Bye-bye. And that is a wrap. I know that that podcast was completely different to what I kind of usually do. Um, but it was really important to me that I got somebody like Jake on the podcast. It's, these things kind of really matter to me. And I hope that it kind of helped everybody in listening and kind of educated a little and maybe not and kind of caused some opinions and maybe caused some people to go dig in and, and learn a little bit more about what what jake spoke about um please go support him uh patreon.com forward slash popular front follow him on all of his platforms um i put all the links in the bio of the podcast as well anyway if you did enjoy it please share it with your friends talk about it on social media and yeah just keep doing you love you lots keep safe see you soon everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.